peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. Welcome back to the Softly Performance Podcast. What's going on, guys? Bringing you a really good show today. Matt and I are currently working on a project that we probably mentioned in other shows previously, and we're actually now in the, the development process of it, no longer the creative and how we want to lay it out. And we ended up opening up a conversation this morning uh, for our our morning meeting talking about max aerobic speed. And, you know, what's crazy is the word max aerobic speed, and everyone's like, you have a max aerobic speed side, and, and if you get into <laughs> the science of it, yeah, we can go ahead and, and improve your max aerobic speed just as we can improve your max anaerobic power output, your anaerobic power reserve. There's a lot of things we can do there, but how do we do those things? And it doesn't just come from providing a specific stimulus, but it also comes from how do we recover from that stimulus? And I think a lot of individuals get really confused in how do we go ahead and get better, right? Because a lot of the times when we look at concurrent training of strength and endurance, there's always going to be a primary and a secondary, Am I right or wrong on that? Especially depending on like a, like a focus, you mean like Correct. a primary secondary focus? Correct. Yeah, sure, like a bias. Almost. Correct. And the only reason I you know I think about those things is because of the fact that you can't hit both of them at the same time for long periods of time. We see what happens when we do too much of something, and it's the same thing here. I'm a prime example of it. You know, when I was just running long endurance efforts, and then I was going to the gym and do some strength work. I and I wasn't doing very much strength. It was more to support my endurance, my power yeah. went down, my, my ability to, you know, be a little bit more durable went down. This is when I started getting into, into endurance that moment. And I was like, interesting. I started noticing a little bit more injuries. I started noticing like IT band issues. I started noticing all these other aspects and it was like, all right, there has to be a better way to do this than just going ahead and being like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and do an endurance work, but I'm going to use the gym to do X, Y, and Z. And that's kind of what, and we talked about this in the past in previous podcasts about the Apex program, and that's really where it got it, but that's not where we're going today. What we're looking at is how is it that we can go ahead and get a really healthy blend of strength and endurance to go ahead and progress, not just the tactical professional, but as well as the recreational athlete. Mm. And I, I think maybe some of it kind of comes back to almost what you were talking about, really, where you have to decide what's the outcome what what goal am i trying to achieve so if you when you were when you were kind of trained for the ultra stuff you know that you have like a like a determined or a predetermined distance that you have to race on a certain date so it's it's just a case then like we talked about before reverse engineering back so what are the what are the skills and capacities that i need to like develop in order to do that um and and kind of knowing that because that's my goal, it's okay that my one at max clean and jerk drops. That's like, that's part of the kind of the the give and the take, I suppose, of of, of training. Um, that we we can't like. I know that's kind of the model of CrossFit was that you could kind of be pretty good at everything, but really we're we're kind of in the world that, that you're in, George. You don't want to just be pretty good. You want to like go out and dominate. So when we're starting to like when we're starting to specialize in a sport, it is just that it's a case of, of kind of taking the hit on one thing 
maybe temporarily so that you can you can kind of get more of an advantage in something else yeah and you know it's crazy because when we go ahead and look at that we look at it from a two types of training perspectives you know one that's going to go ahead and have a general way of getting you ready for the event right so your event specific training we've talked about this in the past you know and that and that's usually just the general conditioning you know mix of both strength and endurance and it might not be focused on the specific event at its at at that moment or in that mo in that block but guess what it's doing for you in that moment it's it's getting you ready for when it is time to move to that second type of training you know that prepares you in a specific way for that event then that you know primary consists of you know training sessions that are going to model and directly have specific demands to that event and i think that's where everyone needs to understand that is that hey when we train for something the closer you get is when you start getting more specific for a specific type of event. The further away from it, you can be more general and have different types of things. And again, how does this come back to concurrent strength and conditioning and, and endurance as a whole? And, and what I wanna do for you, Matt, is go ahead and open the door and kind of explain what max aerobic speed is. Mm, okay, so, so I mean, as the name suggests, and like George kind of hit on the intro, it's essentially the fastest speed that you can maintain while staying aerobic um and there's kind of lab definitions and, and field definitions of that depending on kind of what you're what you're doing but maybe maybe like a relatively simple analogy for this is if you think of if you're if you're driving down the road in like an automatic transmission car if you're like putting your foot maybe a, say a third of the way down on the accelerator and you, you see a rev counter start to go up it will stay, the car will stay in, let's say, third gear until you cross that threshold where you need more speed and then you'll hear the revs change and it will drop down and, and change up a gear. That's almost kind of how, it, it's a, maybe a bit more complicated than this and it's a bit more of a spectrum, but that's almost kind of how we, we, we think of going from aerobic and then shifting up a gear into like anaerobic. Correct. That, that's, sorry, that's probably a bit clumsy, but hopefully that's kind of analogy to get you like in the, in the ballpark. And, and we know that, as, as you guys have probably felt when you do something that's at an aerobic pace in quotation marks, that's going to be like your steady state bike ride or a run or a row or something. And that's a pace you can kind of keep going fairly comfortably for quite a while. When we start diving more into the anaerobic side of things, that's where you start getting the, like the crazy heavy legs and the, the kind of the fatigue sets in. Um, and, and we know those two things feel quite different and the output is quite different, like the speed and the power and, and stuff like that. And that's the, and you know what's crazy about all of that is that the, the the answer to that is literally what you need to improve on. Everyone's like, hey, do I get better at that? Well, it's like you have to do more of that. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's and you, yeah, I think you – sorry, you guys. It, it was just kind of one of those things where we take this idea of we'll use a 1.5 mile runtime because that's a, a, something that everyone has to get good at because it's part of a, a PT standard or a mm. PST standard to get into specific schools. Well – cool, we know that you have to be able to hold a certain pace for a certain duration to get below that time duration, which is a minimum of 1130 for most people. Some people it's a 1030. So when you can go ahead and see the pace that you can hold at an aerobic function, now this brings back the max aerobic function heart rate where the Maffetone method, where we go ahead and understand, hey, we go ahead and have a general rule of thumb that a specific heart rate, if we stay below it, we're going to go ahead and stay in an aerobic state, meaning that we effectively utilize oxygen from a production and consumption standpoint as efficient as possible. Once we break over that heart rate, 
we now start getting into utilizing more glycogen, less than, and then fat. And why? Because I've, I've said this in the past, but endurance is a metabolic sport. And so strength ends up becoming more neurological. And we kind of talked about this pre-show where I sent you a, an, uh, I guess an article, and it had, talks about different research papers from the Paliquin group. And I've actually read this article five, six years ago. And it's I still come back to it every single time when I'm looking at laying down a strength and endurance concurrent training program. Why? Because I believe in the fundamentals and I believe that there's a lot to take from understanding how to blend the two. So mm-hmm. if I know that, you know, hey, let's go back to that 1.5 mile runtime. And you know that, hey, I'm running a 1.5 mile runtime in an, in an 11.15, but my max heart rate during that moment was a 169. Okay. That's a high average heart rate to one a 1.5 mile runtime for individuals. Now, they, they pass their time. How do we improve that time though? Do we train the anaerobic system or do we train the aerobic system? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I guess it's almost where you have to kind of almost take a, take a step back and, and like you were talking about before, think of it in terms of like the, the general prep, like the base of the pyramid and then stacking the specific stuff on top. And, and once you, when you're in that, that general prep area, that that's where we're less concerned about like the split times and things like that. But we can, we can kind of try and figure out, well, what is it that's holding this, this athlete, this individual back? Is it like you talked about aerobic or anaerobic capacity? Is it, is it kind of like metabolic or is it maybe that their technique sucks or that they're, um, they're like their ability to be springy in quotation. So like, like kind of plyometric stretch, short and cycle capacities, is that down? And, and once we kind of, once we can kind of figure out well, what's the, what's the limiting factor, what's the kind of almost like a triage, what's the thing we've got to work on first and we can kind of get that out the, out the way then they'll be able to handle more ultimately kind of handle more of the, the specific training. Um, and I think that's probably something that, that you're all over with your, your sort of your background in, uh, like literally having figured it out for yourself, like literally having done it in, in kind of like the ultra. Well, um, it's interesting too, right? I saw um, a scroll Instagram earlier and I saw someone post on their story about reading. There's a new paper. I got to find it about how one RMs, how do you train, how do you improve a one RM with minimum effective dose? And the individual was like, okay. really like, oh, how do, can we train this into concurrent training, into strength and endurance training? And it kind of got me, thinking where it's like, I don't know if there's a such thing as improving your one RM from a minimum effective dose and training endurance at the same time. And I could be completely wrong and I might bite my lip, my tongue later on down the road, but what from experience and from what I've learned through reading research and seeing anecdotal experience of individuals get stronger, faster, powerful, and more enduring, that one RM, that minimum effective dose of trying to improve that one RM over time is actually a higher risk for injury than it is when I'm focusing on trying to train them for specific um, adaptations, increasing speed, power, running economy, movement economy, swimming, biking, learning how to move under a heavy load like a ruck. Those things then come all together. And the same thing for, you know, when we look at the tactical professional, it's like, look, yeah, do I want them to run a sub 1830? Sure, that's great. But then what does their strength numbers look like? Right, mm-hmm. and are they well balanced in the strength? Well, meaning are they? They don't have to be benching three fifteen, back squatting five hundred, and pulling a deadlift of six hundred. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about the relative strength and endurance 
you know, metrics that we've put out through SoftLead already of kind of looking at there. And again, it's not to be excellent. You want to try and again, be in the middle to where you're able to do everything and encompass all of those things. So when we come and look at the idea of like, what is strength when we look at from a, a physiological standpoint, we know that strength is a force generated by contraction of a muscle. That simple, right? So again, when I go and say strength is neurological, realistically, it's more of a muscular type <laughs> adaptation. Like, is there a CNS you know, changes and, and manipulations in it. Sure, so does endurance have that same exact thing. So when we go ahead and look at the two, we know that two parallels both focus on musculature work. One is how do we go ahead and get as much oxygen into the muscles when we go ahead and break down the muscle fibers, right, from type one to type two. And then how do we make those muscles powerful, strong, powerful and strong and, and have speed, but also have the ability to endure. And that's a really huge, you know, parallel to look at. I don't know many people look at. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, I think um, like a lot of this, a lot of this stuff is, um, it can get really muddy. It can get kind of really overly complex really quickly because we have so many different terms and so many different like, um, uh, I guess like. Let me back up. I think we, I think we have um, particularly within like our industry of of strength conditioning, human performance, or whatever. I, I think we've we've probably almost evolved from like a medical from seeing the medical world as being like gold standard, and in some respects, I think that's really good. But in other respects, it it can sometimes hinder us because to go back to your one rep max one rep max example, what it often does is it kind of it encourages or, or forces us as practitioners to like put maybe too much emphasis on just the things we can measure. Correct. So kind of like you were saying with the injury risk of associated with a one rep max, like really does your, does your 5k runner, does your, um, does your, does your sort of 1500 runner, do they, do they need to be worrying about their one rep max because they're not powerlifters. So they're, they're, they're like when they're lining up on the world or Olympic or whatever start line, what what their one rep max back score is doesn't math doesn't kind of affect where they're placed is how fast they complete that Correct. race but i think because we're we're kind of maybe swayed by that medical world where we have to justify our our practices and, and like what we're doing we have to justify our worth by well as a strength coach i've put 80 kilos on their back squat over five seasons or, or whatever it is it that's kind of how you you kind of you show you show it um so i, I think we can definitely we definitely can kind of come unstuck there and you have to just keep going back to what is it that I'm trying to get them better at Correct. doing? What's like, what's your goal? Like what, what is it that you, you want to do? And what I want to do real quick is break down when we talk about, you know, I think you guys hear us throw it around aerobic base. We throw it around quite a bit and I think it does get misunderstood and understanding that again, I get it. It's thrown around in the endurance world. It's thrown around the strength conditioning world like crazy again. Why? Because science literature, We've seen that that aerobic base really does work, but un un unfortunately, sometimes it gets mis uh, misplaced or used in the wrong context. And let's go ahead and break down what that what does that look like? Does it mean to have a big motor? What does a big motor really mean? Well, a big motor really means that we're having a well-developed aerobic energy production system that one allows for us to go ahead and provide oxygen to the muscles, the ability to pump as much amount of blood into the system with oxygen that it carries, right? Things like that. And it honestly it enha enhances your ability for 
prolonged periods of moderate work without it like really fatiguing you. So at the end of the day, what does an aerobic base mean? It means that the better the developed aerobic base, the faster you can move for extended periods of time. That doesn't, that yeah, doesn't, and back to that efficiency piece you were correct. talking about, it makes you more efficient. Correct, right? And again, we understand that specific athletes have to go ahead and move for longer durations of period, or longer periods of duration, sorry. Well, then why are we not focusing on developing an aerobic base? Same thing as when we look at developing a strength base, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. so focused on, hey, we need to develop this strength base, meaning that now, what does that actually mean? Well, it's a well-developed strength uh, or muscular energy production system that can handle external load and move it quite, move it decently well without breaking position and posture, honestly. I just made that up in my head, but that's how I look at what does a strength base look like. So Yeah, that's fair. When we go ahead and look at it from a standpoint, you know, we always have a lot of individuals who, you know, oh, I have to increase my VO2 max. Right. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to get down the rabbit hole of like the VO2 max is a myth or whatever else, because again, it goes back and forth. But all I know is that if I can increase an aerobic base and I can increase my strength base, what happens to my VO2? Yeah. It naturally yeah, yeah. goes up. So maybe we stop focusing again on the number and we focus on just overall consistency of performance, meaning, you know, I did an aerobic base slash strength based session today for a training training session today. It was literally uh, 30 minutes of work, average heart rate of a 148 or lower is what I focused on. But I also knew that when I was going to go ahead and do some other pieces within my session in that 30 minutes time period, that it was going to go ahead and create some kind of anaerobic response because I'm focusing on developing my strength base that at times when I go to put myself under tension, it's going to go ahead and elicit a response in the heart rate. Well, there it is. I'm now playing around with teaching the body to be more flexible to allow for it to manage energy production from when it goes ahead and hits these quick power outputs and these quick strength power outputs and then back down to where I'm not sitting there trying to lift a 1RM every single time and then go do a a 60-minute run. That's not the case here. No, what I'm trying to do is I look at how do I go ahead and balance out this strength base and balance out this aerobic base at the same time so that we can lift each other together, right? And I've said it before. It's like, hey, if you increase your aerobic base, guess what happens to your strength base? Right? That's George putting his hand up. Yeah, and and like I'm showing my hands increase, (laughs) but it starts to go, it starts to increase. Well, what happens when we start focusing on our our strength base, you know, in a very balanced manner? Oh, oh, look, my aerobic base is coming up slightly, but it's because I haven't walked away from it, right? But now if I go ahead and just focus on my strength base, guess what happens? and I don't touch that aerobic base, what happens to it? It starts to go away. Now my recovery and my strength-based development and, my, and that idea starts to slow down. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, yeah. let's go ahead and take the opposite of that. Oh, I'm only focusing on my aerobic base and my energy system production. What happens to my strength? Yeah, if I'm doing some anaerobic work in the, in the endurance world, in that conditioning aspect, will I keep some strength? Sure, we know that. But again, what does that do for me? Once we start becoming too uneven on this balance beam, we start to see things tip and we start to see things break. So how do we go ahead and look at it from an idea of how do we go ahead and increase overall energy production from a strength base and a aerobic base? Yeah. I, I, again, I kind of, I kind of default back to the idea of like, it, it sort of depends what it is your, like what it is you're, you're kind of trying to, trying to get after. So where, where we have things like the, the softly performance matrix they can almost like george was saying rather than thinking those as being kind of the the, the be all end all like the the focus of the training they're almost kind of like guardrails where like we can say that 
we've seen from experience that people within the tactical community generally have a better career, are less likely to get injured, are less likely to kind of put their colleagues and, and co-workers in high risk and will perform better um, in terms of the, the job if they're kind of around these values. And and so what, what we want to, I guess what we want to try and push is that rather than like seeing a goal time of a mile and a half and, and chasing that, chasing that goal time specifically that should be something that's almost uh like organically part of your your performance um so it's kind of part of the process rather than the outcome now, i don't know whether i might be talking completely no here. no so I, I, stop, I, stop me if i am sorry <laughs> kind of made sense in my head no. <laughs> welcome to the softly performance podcast guys <laughs> so where we run yeah, down right. rabbit holes sometimes excuse me sorry so what I want to go ahead and look at the idea is intensity versus lactate. Okay. Right? Because we understand to go ahead and have high bouts of ATP production, again, we need to go ahead and have a strong aerobic base. Meaning that okay. when we look at the aerobic base and we look at utilizing the aerobic energy system, we look at fuel as energy because, again, it needs fat and sugars and proteins to operate in. So, a lot of times what everyone looks at is we have this idea of this aerobic threshold and then we have this anaerobic threshold. So we have this left and right lateral limit of your aerobic threshold. Let's say that heart rate's a 148 because we did the math heart rate of 180 minus age depending on your, your training experience and your age and if you're sick or whatever else you want to go ahead and make some adjustments to that. We'll put the links to the Maffetone formula in, in the show notes. And then you have an anaerobic threshold to where you now, let's say that anaerobic threshold is going to be a 162. Well, let's go ahead and break down that anaerobic threshold real quick. In simple terms, anything below that aerobic threshold is going to be utilizing fat as fuel. Now, when we get into that left and right lateral movements of the aerobic threshold and the anaerobic threshold, when we start getting into that anaerobic threshold, when we start utilizing ATP, we're not producing it, but utilizing it, meaning that in the aerobic system produces that ATP and the anaerobic system starts to utilize it which is what we start to see when we start breaking into lactate. And what does that mean? So between that aerobic threshold and the anaerobic threshold, we start utilizing fat and sugar as fuel. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just trying, just trying to kind of, uh, yeah, make sure I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with this. Yeah. So um, what ends up happening is, is people like to train above that anaerobic threshold more often than none. And what does that utilize most of the time now, sugar. So the higher intensity, the more sugar you utilize, the lower the intensity, the less sugar you use and the more fat you use, right? Because again, in the anaerobic mm -hmm. system utilizes glycogen or glucose, however you yeah. want to break it down. Yeah, yeah. And the aerobic system utilizes fat. All I did was break it down from gly glycogen to simple terms. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. when we look at how do we go ahead and train that aerobic base, well, we know that if we can go ahead and have a well-balanced training program when we're utilizing the aerobic base, knowing that, hey, I primarily have been a very high-intensity, <clears throat> high focused on utilizing sugar as my fuel. <clears throat> well, my body doesn't know how to use fat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something um, you can kind of see. Have you, have you come across... Um, uh, respiratory quotient i think it's called so arc like an rq number so um so back in the day i remember doing this in, in undergrad i think the technology's moved on a little bit now but back in the day you do like a bike test or a run test with a mask yep. on and you get like yeah. gas analysis and like your 
any kind of exercise fizz guys out here, apologies. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely mess these up. So I think a number above one point zero okay. is is kind of so saying you're starting to go anaerobic. Okay. Whereas like point seven, point eight, I think is more aerobic, showing that you're um you're kind of using more oxygen. So using more fat, to, like use loads of oxygen to so to kind of fuel that fat glycolysis you're talking about. So it, sorry, fat oxidation. Yeah. So it's the same idea here where you know, well, let's go ahead and take a left. Let's go ahead and take a graft. Right. We have we have our graft made, and then we put those left and right lateral limits on there. So the aerobic threshold will be 0.7. Let's just say that the anaerobic threshold now is going to be is going to be one. If we spend too much time above that one, we are going to be utilizing way too much sugar right, to where we take away from developing that aerobic base. Do we need to operate in that system at times? Yes. But if we're talking about really having a strong, balanced strength and endurance concurrent training approach, that doesn't need to be touched as much. Because especially when it comes to the endurance world, unless we need to specify, and when we have to get a little bit more specific, but where we get a lot of that utilization now is in the strength <laughs> In the strength, in the strength aspect, right? Because when we go ahead and break it down, we know that hey, doing a one RM does cause high CNS fatigue, and we do know doing a high intensity endurance effort causes CNS fatigue. So then we have to recover from the two. How do we go ahead and balance out that idea of strength and endurance to where we have this consistency ebbs and flow of balancing out mm. strength and endurance concurrent training? Well, it's something that I've really focused on is when I go ahead and take this idea of looking at energy and looking at how we should utilize our training approach, a lot of it comes from this idea of understanding the fat metabolism and understanding the sugar metabolism as a whole. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was thinking about this when I was working out today. When I lay out a, a training program, we look at it, especially for someone who is trying to just to kind of balance out their aerobic base, but still kind of maintain a strength base. Because a lot of people want that. They're like, hey, I want to keep my strength, but I keep hearing that if I do aerobic work and focus on improving my aerobic base, that my strength is going to go ahead and go down. And the misconception of that is that the reason why you know you see strength go down is because, one, we start taking away from the strength aspect when it comes to not training the proper stimulus or rep scheme or set scheme how we want and i think that's that's the idea is like everyone's so used to the way crossfit trains right let's go ahead and do 30 clean and jerks at 135 pounds for time well what does that do to the cns and yeah. let's take a let's take a full clean at 315 what does that do to the cns mm. yeah it's a very different stimulus isn't it, I think. correct but over time though they both kind of have similar responses like in terms of like being fatigued, fatigued right? Or... Yeah, fatigued wise. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm with you. So mm. what I want to go ahead and take from that is like, okay, cool, maybe I don't do 30 clean and jerks at 135, and maybe I just don't sit there and try and do one RMs and heavy 95 to 98% lifts all the time. Maybe I focus more in that range of that 75 to 90% strength range where I'm playing around with three to five sets, and sometimes I just do two sets, two sets all up to five sets of anywhere between five to eight reps of whatever movement that is. Because again, now mm. I'm I'm focusing not just on maintaining strength, but I'm also just layering, you know, good movement economy. I'm focusing on really playing around, you know, with this idea of like touching that anaerobic threshold without actually creating any kind of CNS 
uh, fatigue from running too hard out in the mountains or biking a six minute bike test or similar things like that. So it's like, okay, cool. If I know that I did a really, really low aerobic training session on, let's say Monday, and that's maybe that was a 45 minute swim, super easy. You just put the clock on at 45 minutes, you stretch, you did whatever else, and you just went to swim for 45 minutes. It's super easy pace. Average heart rate was a one fucking 35. Cool. Well, the next day, you know that now that strength session needs to go ahead and be the opposite of whatever that low aerobic session was. Because again, we're balancing everything out. So what would a strength session look like that look like look like there? Especially if I want to go ahead and prep myself going into the week. Well, I know what my central nervous system does when I put some sympathetic tension into it by lifting some weights. It wakes my system up. It makes me feel good. It gives me that umph when I go ahead and go out for a run, if I jump on my bike, if I go ahead and do a longer mixed modal GPP try. Uh, training session in the gym, it gives me that extra umph as well as it gives me that extra umph throughout the day. So it's like, okay, cool. But I also know too much of that does what to me? Yeah, it gets that fatiguing. It gets that fatiguing. So then, boom, what does that Wednesday look like? It could either, you know, most of the time it's going to go ahead and be another aerobic piece, right? To where it's okay, cool. Now I'm balancing out whatever I did in the gym now. So I'm just playing this, I'm playing this up and down game, you know, and, and whatever, priority is the is the focus for the day or for the week it's like okay cool how much time on feet do i have to get with my ruck or how much if i'm training for a strongman event or a strength event how much specific time do i need to go ahead and do that sport in the gym well i need to know i have to put more time into it if i want to be successful but i i don't have to get away from get away from developing that aerobic base at the same time i'm now just going ahead and making that a secondary and now focusing more on that strength base or vice versa when I'm getting closer to an event. Well, maybe now I need to start focusing more on that aerobic base and maintain that strength base so that when I do go through this event, I have a well-balanced system that can handle all of it. And then on the back end, I can recover really well. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that changing, having, having that kind of, um, that periodized approach. So where, where the focus, like the focus of your, your training is, is kind of deliberate. Um, I think I think by and large that's that's kind of um, pretty well accepted as as being kind of the, the way to go. Like like the whole um, what did what did Greg Glassman should talk about? Like the hopper, you know, where you like randomly pull stuff out of the the hopper, like three things, and that's your workout. I think we kind of as a community, I think we're kind of going away from that idea now. Like the conversation yeah. you were you were talking about this morning, um, in the like it needs to be more than randomized. Like we know, we know better now. Yeah. Um, and even, I mean, this is kind of a bit of a segue, but even like with, with sports like CrossFit, they are now becoming, they're now going away from the kind of strength and power. Um, well, I, I was going to say kind of going away from this idea of like, um, being prepared for the unknown and unknowable. And it's more like when you're talking about the sport, it, it becomes another sport. You know when the Correct. you know when you're going to be competing. You know kind of what sort of thing, what what the the event's going to be like. So you you periodize your year based around peaking. At that, and well, that's that the idea, time. right? Where it's like we're not focusing just on developing strength and power. We're not focusing on just developing gymnastic skills. We're not just focusing on developing weightlifting. We're not just focusing on just CrossFit. We're now focusing on leveling you up across the board from an aerobic base to a strength base to an overall performance space that will allow for you to go ahead and operate at high levels of performance. And one thing that I think I think a lot of people don't realize is the idea of what mitochondria does for us. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, kind of like the the powerhouse. That was there. about to say the mitochondria is the powerhouse the powerhouse cell in 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 our body. 
So how do we improve that powerhouse? So, so in terms of, um, as, as far as I'm aware, and again, I haven't touched exercise phase for a little while, so you have to forgive no. me. So we can improve like the, the kind of the mitochondrial density within the yep. cell. So like the number of them, I don't think, do they, impre- do they increase in size or is it just density? Uh, it increases in density. Okay. Yeah. Is, yeah, that's is, kind of is what, what I, I believe. So it's increasing the capillator bed density is what I believe it does. And then it also helps focusing on increasing uh, aerobic enzymes and no, actually, you know what? And it does increase mass. So density and mass okay. increases along with the aerobic enzymes. Yeah. Um, so the reason why I bring that out, right, is because we can train mitochondria in the gym as well. So, mm, yeah, yeah. so going back to the idea when we go ahead and look at this Palaquan, uh, how to train for strength and endurance, you know, that's honestly what we're just doing. Because like you're, you're, I still am stuck on that that comment you made after you got done. He's like, they really focus on the musculature of strength and endurance, concurrent training, instead of focusing on like the neurological aspect as well. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that it's because of the idea of what what mitochondria does? So the increase in the activity of mitochondria only increases aerobic power output. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, what I, what I kind of was, was meaning off, like off the back of, of reading that. Uh, and again, we can, we can whack a, a link yep. to that in the show notes so people can kind of completely disagree with me. <laughs> or um, me and be but, like, Hey, you're completely bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, kind of my, my sort of thinking was that, um, uh, a lot of, and this, this is definitely very true within, within the, the strength and conditioning world, uh, is that we can get very wrapped up in focusing purely on like developing the quality of muscle. So be it getting it bigger in terms of like hypertrophy, bodybuilding type stuff, getting it kind of like stronger in terms of that you start to kind of tap into the yep. neuro stuff already, but like the, the mitochondrial density. So looking at, at like, um, kind of the the volume of mitochondria within the within the cell primarily within like the the slow twitch yep. uh within kind of the, the slow twitch fibers and and that stuff is is kind of really important like that we understand why we're prescribing what we're prescribing in terms of like rep sets exercise choices things like that because we need to bear in mind those things but then we also have to not lose sight of the fact that the the human system, human physiology is also largely governed by the central nervous system. It's not just like, so if you look down at your quad, it's not just the like, like a chunk of meat, <laughs> like you might buy a steak in, you know, like in Walmart or somewhere. Um, it's, it's kind of all the electricalness that's a highly technical term there. That's kind of, yeah. that's like innovating and controlling that stuff. And that's, that's huge. I think, because in terms of like efficiency, if you're an endurance athlete or in terms of kind of like power output and speed, if you're, if you're kind of looking more like your, your sprinters or your like team game players, um, it, it's kind of bearing that stuff in mind as well. I think that's really important. I don't know whether that sounds. No, 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 it it does. Cause it kind of goes into this idea that, you know, as we continue focusing on improving, you know, that aerobic and strength base, what we end up doing is we, we know that consistent training leads to increased in not just the rogue base and strength base, but when we go and look at it from a physiological standpoint, we know that it, it, it does help create and connect new structures of cells and capillaries to where it helps increase the density and the mass of mitochondria where over time it allows us to go ahead and get more oxygen to the system. So when we are mm-hmm. doing a strength session and we're having to do heavy three reps, you know, 
at that 90%, we now recover quicker to that, right? It's the same thing when we're yeah, doing, yeah. you know, two minute all effort, all out effort sprints, and we're giving a three minute rest period for multiple sets, we are now allowing, you know, those two systems to go ahead and blend with each other really well. But we're also focusing and taking in this idea of what does the heart do for us? Not only does it, you know, increase the production of, you know, blood pumping to the system, but how much oxygen it gets. We understand that at the same time that no matter what we do in a very good training method, we know that the response is going to have new capillaries into new working into the working muscles as a result of training. We know that. Well, so how do we take that from an idea of going ahead and like, you know, understanding, you know, what this the, the the speed of the curb cycle is for production of ATP. So realistically, by focusing on this aerobic base and focusing on developing the strength base, we are only increasing the speed of the curb cycle to produce ATP to allow for the individual to go ahead and to work for longer periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's something where I think we've, we've got much better at as a community within the last kind of 15, 20 years, like previously it used to be very kind of polarized. Like either you did endurance training, like jogging, or you did kind of just your strength power, like Olympic lifting, weightlifting. Um, we, we kind of, exactly like the example you, you were you were used in george like from from kind of i guess whether it was a case of understanding the physiology first and then making choices making kind of informed decisions based on that or whether it was a case of seeing results and inferring what was happening i don't know but you've got people like like louis simmons and uh, at west side and charlie francis um who was a, a, a canadian i love coach. charlie's um, francis Oh, some of, yeah, some of that stuff still blows my mind that, that they were doing. But but both of those guys are, uh, are kind of great examples of coaches who produced all-out strength and power or produce all-out strength and power athletes, but who lean heavily on that, like you were talking about, that low-level aerobic work so that you can increase kind of aerobic efficiency so that you can if it's Charlie Francis is sprinting, if it's Louis, it's, it's powerlifting so that you can complete more of those high intensity reps. And ultimately, again, like at the point you made earlier, it's, it's the person that can do the most generally that wins in, in kind of training. And that's not like a kind of a call to arms to say, right, everyone needs to go out and train three or four times a day. We're, we're talking kind of over, over like a long, over like a full career. So you have like genetics and stuff that kind of come into that. But if you can, if you can recover, enough that you can like go so if we use if we use charlie as an example if you can recover enough that you can sprint all out as a as an adult male or female three times a week say you're going to get exponentially better than the person who can only recover enough to sprint twice a week all out so it's those kind of gains and that that's kind of like where we where we kind of see the effects of like performance enhancing drugs it's not like popeye where you like (laughs) you kind of bang the violin and all of a sudden you're huge it's that ability for like the the nervous system and the um and kind of the the body to to recover and rebuild to the point where you can tolerate more high intensity work correct um so yeah i I think you i think you bang on and that's that's definitely where the um like being informed with with like you were saying kind of about like how Krebs cycle works and like the 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 aerobic um kind of like biochemistry side of things like understanding that really allows you to you'd sort of program like effectively correct so 
we're going to go ahead and cut this and go into a part two. And what we're going to go ahead and dive into there is like, how do we go ahead and improve the, improve the speed of that curb cycle, right? I'm sorry, curb cycle, how you want to look at the production of ATP. And a lot of that comes down to understanding how to train the heart from a cardio, a cardiac output perspective, cardiac hypertrophy perspective, and then understanding what are these energy system productions fall or how do we train to improve the energy system production, right? There's multiple different energy systems subcategories that we can go ahead and take a look at to improve that to where at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is, in, is increase the powerhouse cell, which is mitochondria, right? How do we go ahead and improve stroke volume to get bl more oxygen to the system when it pumps blood out? Three, how do we increase the speed of that, of that curb cycle when it comes from an aerobic base standpoint? How does that transfer over to strength? So I'm excited to kind of get into that here in a bit. Uh, Again, guys, if you have any questions on what we've talked about so far, we understand this this podcast is going to be a little bit more uh, in-depth from, from a physiological standpoint of understanding aerobic base and strength base and strength and, current, uh, strength and endurance concurrent training. So appreciate you guys listening to us and looking forward to sharing more information.